0: Oh, Mary Yeager. <clears throat> hey, good morning. Welcome to Church in the Mall. Welcome home. Uh, for you watching us at home, we're so delighted that you're joining us as well. Uh, we are clearly in fall, coming into winter, and we're excited that you're here. We're finishing up our entire series on the book of Ephesians, and so you picked a great day to be in church. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into our time together in God's Word, and then we're going to celebrate communion together. For those of you at home, feel free to grab some elements. Uh, some bread, some juice, some water, whatever it is that you'd like to have to join us, and uh, we'll be doing that at the end of service. So let us pray. Lord Jesus, as we come here this morning uh, in such goofy times, Father, I don't know what words uh, to use to describe just uh, how much this world has turned upside down this year, Uh, but Father, we still seek joy in you, and we are determined to spend some time in your word today to find out some truth and to be able to be encouraged so that as we move forth from this place, we do so in your spirit, in your guidance, and in your love. Father, come now and speak into our hearts and our minds. Allow these words to be more than just words. Allow them to go deep inside our hearts and minds, to stir up your spirit that we might be children of the living God. So, Father, we welcome you into this space, into our lives, and into this time. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Now we've been working through this book of Ephesians or this letter that Paul has been writing to a specific group of people that he made contact with in the book of Acts and he's writing to them from jail. And so I cannot think of a a worse opportunity or a worse space or a worse environment than being imprisoned. And as I think about that and relate to it, I think of just how I feel right now. I feel very imprisoned and stuck and, and it's like every aspect of my life has changed because of this stupid virus and... It's been so hard for me to get in a good headspace where I can truly glorify God with my thoughts, my attitudes, my words. And so this has been a very trying week. And so if you can relate to that, know that you are in good company. I had so much trouble connecting with God this week that finally on Saturday, I took some time and I go to one of my favorite places, which is the cemetery out in Granville. It's very quiet. No one ever comes out there. And I take my chair and I go and I sit in it and I spend time with God. And so as I sat there in my chair and I'm praying and I'm taking in the glorious sun and it's a crisp morning and it's just the most ideal setting, I'm still feeling distant from God. And as I'm sitting there in my chair, something absolutely magical happened. The bottom ripped out of my chair. And I picked this chair up and I threw it, which is why it's bent now here. Uh, And I said words that are very inappropriate for a pastor to say. And I sat there and I went, God, what the hell is going on? I came out here to spend time with you. I'm trying to meet you. I, I want to grow in you. But it just seems like everything is against me right now. Do you ever feel that way? Well... Paul is going to talk to the Ephesians in this particular chapter specifically about that. And what I want to tell you is, as a pastor, we are not permitted to speak or talk or share about God's truth until God takes us through it. And so this past week, or dare I even say this past six months, I have been wrestling in my own faith and understanding of how on earth we can be living in such tumultuous times, yet still find our hope in Jesus Christ. And today's passage really helped speak some wisdom to me. And it really helped encourage me. And so I want to share some of those things with you. But before we begin, I want to start back and kind of recap what Paul has been teaching this entire time through this book of Ephesians. And so let me begin like this. In Christ, we have all been given these things. Number one, every spiritual blessing. Paul talks specifically about this earlier in this letter. He says, we've been given every spiritual blessing or gift. We've been made alive and we've been enthroned with Christ. That means we sit in the presence of God ruling over all of the world. Through God's power, all has come under his subjection. We now have the task to make God's power known to the spiritual powers and evils of this world and to stand against them. Now that we've been enthroned with Christ, this determines how we're able to live on earth. And therefore, we live as though we live in the kingdom of God. And our struggle that we face here and now reflects the reality that the world is, in fact, evil at times, and that it's fighting and warring against the authority that God has established in his kingdom through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. So when you come to a point when the bottom of your chair rips out and your life just feels like it is so tumultuous and unfair, you are in the right place to experience God's power. And so today, as we continue in our lesson in Ephesians 6, I'm going to ask you to flip open your Bibles. We're going to be in 6, beginning in verse 10, and we're going to be looking at something that I think is so profound. And it's really a mindset that helps me think about the world very differently. Now, I grew up in a house where my father taught us that the world is always against you, that you got to look out for your own. In fact, I can remember working on my first car, this 1964 Ford Falcon, and we had put the second or third water pump in. And my dad took the half-inch wrench and threw it across the garage, and it hit the back door to the house, and it was a metal door in that wrench imprinted in the door. In fact, when we sold the house, it was still there. But it's that idea of things just get so overwhelming that it's like, I can't even handle it. Well, that's what my dad taught me. And so guess what I do when I get mad? I throw things like this stupid chair. And all of a sudden, it it gives me this false sense of power. But the reality is it hasn't changed my circumstance. And so what Paul wants to talk about here is the same thing you and I face every moment of every day. It's that ongoing warring against these spiritual powers of evil in the world. Before we can go too much farther, we need to start with this idea of a biblical understanding. That there is, in fact, a creature. He goes by the name of Satan, or the devil, or the accuser. He was a created angel. You can actually read about him in Ezekiel. And he was this angel that sat in the presence of God, made for the sole purpose to serve God. But all of a sudden, he looked at himself and he thought, you know, I'm something special. And because he had been given free will, because in order to love, we have to be given the choice to love. Otherwise, it's manipulation. So he was given free will and he looked at himself and said, you know, I think I'm just as good as God, maybe even better. And he elevated himself in his pride to try to put him on the same level of God. It didn't go very well, he was banished from the kingdom of heaven. In doing so, though, he was able to convince one-third of God's angels to follow him, and those become demons. Now, they're stuck here in this earth as the princes of the air, or the powers of evil, or as Paul will talk about in this chapter, those that slither in the darkness. To try to undermine and uproot everything that God has put in created order, and then in authority through the subjection under his power through Jesus Christ. And so no wonder our world seems like it's tearing itself apart. If you had the pleasure these last few weeks to watch whether it would be the presidential debate or the vice presidential debate, you might be just as frustrated as I am that we have become a country where we attack each other. If you just read the news, you'll see that everything seems to be in turmoil, whether we're talking about specific lives mattering or specific people groups having a presence. And that invokes all sorts of emotions. But what I want to tell you is we're not here to fight against the government or even people. And as Paul will tell us, it's not even flesh and blood at all. It's these prince and principalities, this devil and his angels, that are trying to stir up and rob us of the joy that is ours to be had in Jesus Christ. And so I saw a great shirt this week, and I, I wish I could have bought it, but I couldn't find it. But it says, not today, Satan. And I thought it was such a clever saying for exactly what Paul is trying to embrace here and allow the Ephesians to embrace. So let's dive into some of this word here and and see what's happening. So he begins in verse 10. He says, now finally, as Paul's coming to an end of this letter, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, be strong or draw your strength and might from God. Put on the full armor of God to protect yourselves from the devil and his evil schemes. Paul is using these really cool words where he's saying, look, Put on what you already have, the power, the presence, the living spirit of God that is made available to you through Jesus Christ, who has come in residence inside you through the Holy Spirit. Take upon that power and authority. You've been given all spiritual blessings to accomplish anything that you might face in this world. You were made to overcome. He says, put this on as though it's some sort of armor against the evil one. But as we put on our armor, we do it for two key reasons. One is to take a defensive stance. And two is to rebel against the evil that is present in our world around us. And so he says, we're going to stand against these devil schemes. We're not warring against enemies of flesh and blood alone. No, this fight is against tyrants, against authorities, against supernatural powers and demonic princes that slither in the darkness of this world. And against wicked spiritual armies that lurk about in the heavenly places. Now, what I love about this is, if you were to take the Bible and flip back into Daniel, I believe it's around chapter 10, but Daniel is this man who's been taken into captivity. All of Israel has been taken captive by the Babylonians, and they're now under the Persian Empire, and they're living in this kingdom, and they have to submit to these kings and these rulers. Every day, Daniel is praying to God, asking him for guidance and for wisdom and for deliverance of this oppressive power that just lurks over him, kind of like a virus that we're experiencing. And in the midst of that, he's wrestling, and all of a sudden, an angel shows up, and he's so overwhelmed by this being that stands in the presence of God that it literally glows the radiance of God's glory. And Daniel finds himself face down, prostrate before this angel, as if to worship him. The angels always say, don't, don't worship me. I'm just the messenger. And as the angel begins to talk, he says, I've been sent here by God, but I've been held captive three days by the princes of Persia. Now, what he's talking about are these spiritual forces that take up residence in different areas. And in this case, in Persia is a powerful demonic force that is helping to influence the people and the leaders of that area. This angel is held captive by them until the archangel Michael comes down and frees him. Now, when I would teach this story to my son, he would always say, wow, that that archangel Michael must be one bad dude. And he is. In fact, he's tattooed on my brother-in-law's arm, standing over a defeated dragon, stucking him with a spear. But what makes Michael so powerful is not that he's this incredibly strong archangel. It's that he is probably second in command of all of heaven. And so what that means is if you don't deal with Michael, you're going to have to deal with God himself, Jesus Christ. And so I'm sure the conversation went like this as Michael approaches this so-called prince of Persia and he looks in the eye and he says, now we can do this two ways you can either release this angel to do the will of God, or I'm going to call down Jesus. At which immediately, the demon releases this angel who then goes and speaks with Daniel. Again, a reminder that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but against the prince and principalities of this world. The evil that seems to influence us. And it's amazing how that poison slips in and begins shifting us. It's as if our own belief falls from heaven into this world, and we start to believe that the evil really is that powerful, that somehow the rule of God is not strong enough or enforced, but yet it is. When Paul says, be strong in the Lord, he's using a passive present verb in the Greek. Now, what's interesting about this is passive, it means empowering is done to Christians. It's not something Christians do to themselves. So in other words, the power comes from God into us. The present tense part means that the empowering is contextual and complete and continual and always happening. And so that you and I are constantly being renewed and empowered and strengthened by putting on this spiritual defense of God. It's not something that happens overnight. It's something that happens as we continually walk closer and closer to him. As we engage God, God engages us. As we begin to put on the armor of God, we become that image of God. And so when we talk about this whole idea of finding our identity, our identity is in Christ. And Paul uses that beautiful imagery of taking off the old self and putting on the new or putting on Christ. And so the next part, he says, we're not waging war against enemies of flesh and blood alone. No, this fight is against tyrants, authorities, supernatural powers, demon princes that slither in the night in the world, and against wicked spiritual armies that lurk in these heavenly places. And this is why you need to be dressed head to toe in the full armor of God so that you can resist the evil of the devil in these days. Because these days are evil. Now when we talk about some of the evil we're facing, isn't it amazing how it doesn't take me more than a couple minutes to read maybe one if not two articles in the news before my whole day starts to get flushed down the toilet. And I start to get so frustrated and upset. It doesn't take more than one or two conversations with people that I come in contact with to begin bitching and moaning about all the stuff that's going wrong in the world and I quickly go there too and I start adding to the mess. And my challenge is that when I do that, I'm actually missing out on the joy that is mine in Jesus Christ. And I'm actually taking off that new self in Christ, and I'm quickly putting on the old self. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't bring me life or joy. So as Paul continues here, he says, listen. This is why you need to be dressed head to toe in the full armor of God. Put on Christ so that you can resist during these evil days and be fully prepared to hold your ground. Yes, stand with truth banded around your waist. He's going to go into these passages now that mimic that of Isaiah. And Isaiah is going to capture this image of what the Messiah looks like, this person of God who has come to save the world and how he embodies these specific elements. And so as Paul is looking at that imagery from Isaiah, he's saying, yes, just like Christ put these things on, now we're going to put these things on. So he says, put on and stand with truth banded around your waist, righteousness as your chest plate and feet protected in preparation to proclaim the good news of peace. When we talk about proclaiming the good news, a lot of us think, oh, I got to stand on some street corner and yell at people about Jesus. Don't do that. That's obnoxious. But what it does talk about is when we start to see the world falling apart around us and we see people crumbling without hope, we can instill hope. Last night I got to be a part of this great men's group in our church that sat around talking about the frustrating things that are going on in our lives, but then we started talking about the blessings and what this virus has actually done that's been good in our lives. You know, one of the things I can say from my own perspective and my own family is that we have grown a lot closer. You kind of have to when you're quarantined together. But I'm amazed at how well my kids have learned to play together and how they share and delight in one another. Even my son is finding ways to be a part of what his sisters are playing, even though it may not be his favorite. But I'm watching as they come together and they pray before school each day. And I watch them put on that armor of Christ. And so if it took a pandemic to get to that place, then thanks be to God. And yeah, when I look around and I see so many people absent from sitting in our seats in the church here and all over America, I think... Oh, what a bummer. But then I look at the online presence of the church in America right now, and do you know what I'm hearing? Church is up 60%. That's incredible. That means that even during the most frustrating time, probably in our known history as human beings, those of us that are alive today, we can look around and say God is still at work in the lives in the faces that we see all the time. That he is still moving and that the world is still subject to his rule. And he's awakening us. And he's calling us. So as we continually to get ready in this good news, we put this belt of truth, this breastplate of righteousness, these feet that are ready in preparation to share good news and hope with people. Then he says, don't forget to raise the shield of faith above all else. So you'll be able to extinguish those flaming spears hurled from the wicked one. Now, you've probably heard different people talk about this or maybe even seen documentaries where these shields had leather coating on them and they dip them in water so that when the fiery things hit them, they would extinguish themselves. Yeah, that's part of the imagery Paul's using. But he's also talking about something James talks about, which is the fiery blows of the tongue. And how many times do our tongues start fires in our lives and the lives of others because we're frustrated and angry and hurt. And so this shield of hope or faith comes in and we start to push back against that. So when someone comes up and says, oh, can you believe it? I got to wear a mask even to walk into the library. Yeah, but isn't it cool that the library's open? Isn't it cool that we can go get books again? Man, I got to wear a mask every time I go out to eat. Yeah, but isn't it great that restaurants are open and we have options now? Man, I hate that we can't do music in church. I know, that is such a bummer. But you know what's so cool is worship is more than just music and we get to come together and worship God together, whether it's in space or online. You know, all of a sudden we have a perspective that we have an opportunity to change and look at. Yeah, our world's hurting, but it's always been hurting. It it cries out for a Savior to come and save it. And so when we're reminded of just how much we need a Savior we don't get mad about it. We go and we find the Savior. So Paul will continue here. He says, not only do you take up this shield of faith, but now you take up this helmet of salvation. That the games we fight and wage war against in this world are often won in our head. That we have an opportunity to change the way we think about things. We can look at stuff as so negative, or we can begin to look at things the way God looks at things, as opportunities. And so when those bad things come our way, we can say, hey, not today, Satan. I'm not going down that road. You know, one of the things I've realized over the years is that my biggest battle is often with people. And it almost always revolves around communication or perception of communication. And I'm going to be the first to tell you I'm not a great communicator. And so sometimes my words and my actions really hurt others. And believe me when I tell you other people's words and actions can really hurt me. But what would happen in a situation where we had strife in a relationship and we went to that person and said, Look, I just want you to know I'm feeling left out here. I'm feeling hurt. But I don't want to lose this relationship Because quite frankly, I believe our battle isn't with each other. It's not with flesh and blood. There's something trying to wedge a wedge of war between us and not today, Satan. So I want to find a way where you and I can work out our relationship. I want to keep you close as a friend. Or I want you in my life. You know, if we all did that, do you know that we would probably run counselors out of business? you know we probably wouldn't have the wars we have you know we'd actually have a presidential debate where they debated stuff instead of each other i mean the whole world would change in an instant now we can stand there and point fingers and make fun of all those that are blowing it right now or we can be the change we want to see in the world and we can begin instituting those kinds of things in our lives yeah it's not fair yeah it hurts Yeah, it's not right, but we are made to overcome, and God has given us the ability, the power, and the armor to put on Christ to take a firm stand against it. I remember listening to this speaker one time in college. He came, and he was talking to all the students. He said, I was on my way back flying through the airport, and this huge storm hit in Chicago, and we were not allowed to fly out. And he said, people around me were losing their minds because we were close to Christmas time and people wanted to get home or get to these places. And he said, all of a sudden, that spirit of Christmas, that joy that people had and the excitement of going to visit others was stripped away from them naked. And all of a sudden, people began getting upset and angry and crying and frustrated. And he said, I made a decision that if I truly am in Christ, as in I've put on Christ, And through my helmet of salvation, I'm going to walk up to this and I'm going to change my attitude. And so as he went up to the counter, he looked the lady in the face, the little ticket person. And he said, I want to tell you something right now. My God is bigger than this storm. And there is nothing that's going to rob me of that joy. Merry Christmas. You know, it changed that whole girl's demeanor. She said, you're the first person today that's actually been encouraging and nice to me. Can you imagine how we have the power to change the world with our tongues? Because we've taken on the attitude of Christ? The last thing he says is, take on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, we often think, oh, that's the Scriptures and we need to handle the Scriptures. Well, let me tell you that if you hand a child a big sword that's sharp, they're probably going to hurt themselves and hurt someone else. And we have the same ability to do that with the word of God. Now, what Paul's talking about here is the spirit of God in us that takes the word and makes it alive and living in us so that we become imitators of Christ. That's the weapon you use. When we wage war against the evil powers of this world, we're taking a stand saying, no, I'm going to be like Christ. So when someone hurts our feelings, we seek to make the relationship right. When somebody sues us, we go to court and we don't just give them what they want. We give them the coat off our backs. That's what Jesus said. When somebody retaliates against us, we don't retaliate back. That's vengeance. That belongs to God. No, we become the peace of Christ in this world because we are in fact co-heirs with Christ. My friends, our battle is not with flesh and blood, it's with these spiritual powers. I had the privilege one time of reading this book, and if you've never had the opportunity of really diving into the reality of spiritual warfare, there is a beautiful book called The Screwtape Letters by a man named C.S. Lewis. He's one of the most profound writers I've ever read in my life. In fact, I took one summer to just read one of his books. It was about this thick, and it took me the whole summer. He's just so profound. But as he wrote this book, The Screwtape Letters, he writes as a young demon talking to an older, educated, more skilled demon about how to influence his human person he's been assigned to. As C.S. Lois spent a year writing this book, he talked about how this was the most prolific year in his life in that he felt more spiritual oppression than ever before. In fact, it almost messed him up. But I want to read to you just a small section out of that book. And as you hear these words, I want you to hear that this is a young demon talking to an experienced demon. So when he uses the term good guys, he's talking about the evil beings. And when he uses the term enemy, he's talking about God. Listen to these words, because I think they're so interesting when we begin to unpack and separate ourselves from this world, looking at the battle, not with each other, but with these powers, So he begins like this, Dear Wormwood, I wonder wonder you should ask me whether it's essential to keep the patient, the human, in ignorance about your own existence. The question, at least for the present phase of the struggle, has been answered for us by the high command, Satan himself. Our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves Of course, this has not always been so. We're really faced with a cruel dilemma. When human beings disbelieve in our existence, we lose all the pleasing results of direct terrorism and we make no magicians. Don't you love that? These demons are like, man, we really like to show ourselves off because then we we wreak the joy of the havoc we cause in their lives. But it's better we stay hidden and make the battle Look like it's about them. He continues. On the other hand, when, we believe, when they believe in us, we cannot make their materialistic and skeptics, at least not yet. He then continues on. He says, I do not think you will have much difficulty in keeping your patient in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly comical figures in the modern imagination will, in fact, help you. If any faint supposition of your existence begins to arise in his mind, simply suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, it's an old textbook method of confusing them, mind you, that he therefore cannot believe in you. You remember watching Saturday morning cartoons and Bugs Bunny would have the little demon show up and it would be an angel and a demon on each shoulder? Disney did it too. Whenever a devil would show up, they'd have the red horns, the cape, and they would be all red with a spiky tail. That's what he's talking about. If we can just simply take that concept and and impregnate it into our minds, then we simply believe that this is nothing but comical nonsense and that the world really is against us and therefore there's no hope. Or we begin to see through the facade, as Paul is encouraging us to, to see that our battle is not with each other, but with deeper, more powerful beings. Ones that are subject to God himself, though. And since we've been given the full power of Christ and put on this armor or this presence or this physical embodiment of Christ, that we become just like Christ, we now have the power and the authority to threaten these evil things. To push them back, to silence them, even to destroy them. Now let me make it clear though. The battle for evil is not against our government. It's not against law. It's not against social convictions. But really it's about these personal created beings that have chosen to go against God. And guess what? In the power, the name, and the authority of Jesus they have no right. In our lives and since these things slither in the darkness i love that terminology paul uses we as children of light don't live in the darkness their power and authority is not with us so we have an opportunity to stand against them how are we going to do that well paul closes this entire chapter this entire letter with the idea of prayer that when you and I go to spiritual battle against these demons, we do so in the power and the presence of Christ through prayer. Now, when I was young, I remember being taught by a pastor that we pray this way. We have a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, but one God. I know that just mind-blowing to me, but walk with me on this. As we worship and praise and come to know this God, as we begin to speak with this God, we're always talking to the Father, the head. And we do through through the power of the Holy Spirit that is made available to us in Jesus Christ. And so in the name of Jesus, we go to God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And because when you accepted Christ, the Spirit of God came and took up residence, He tabernacled inside of you you have the power and authority of God to come against these evil things. So when you have a broken relationship in your life, you have the power and authority to make it right. When you're dealing with difficult people that hurt you, you have the power and authority to share grace and to begin resolving it. When you see injustices in this world that are just beyond anything that would make sense of God's character and nature, you have the power and authority to stand against them. Is this making sense? Is this giving hope? I mean, I'm telling you, from Saturday to today, being throwing a chair across the cemetery, which had to look absolutely ridiculous, even to the dead, to now standing here going, you know what, I... I f- encouraged because I've been given these same things that all of you've been given through Jesus Christ. Power to overcome the struggle. And so instead of trying to get the last word in, I have an opportunity to show grace. Instead of of trying to make my point heard to every single person and, and fighting against the things that I find are injustice in this world, I can step back and allow the power of God to move forward as I begin to pray And ask God to come into these situations. Listen to how Paul asks us to pray. He says, pray always in verse 18. Pray in the spirit of God. That's that putting on of Christ. Pray about everything in every way you know how. And keep all this in mind. Pray on behalf of God's people. And keep on praying fervishly. And be on the lookout until evil has been stayed. And please pray for me. Pray That the truth will be with me before i even open my mouth can you imagine paul knows the power of prayer there's something so unique about it in fact back in acts when he first comes into ephesus he comes across a group of people that are empowered with magical talents they've given their entire lives over to this idea of magic and speculation that their lives are controlled by some sort of evil power. And Paul comes against them in prayer. And what happens is these people come to know Christ. They bring all their magic books and belongings and they burn them in the public square as a sign to all those in that community that they have given their lives to a greater being of power and authority to Jesus Christ. And even Paul says, there's no way I could have persuaded them to do that. It had to be the power of God working through prayer. And so, for some of you who are struggling with relationships, whether it be spouses, family members, children, co-workers, businesses, maybe even your political party you align with, go against it in prayer. God, come into this situation and begin working in a way where the world is subject again to your authority. Where things are placed back in the correct order so that things work the way you design them to be. When we can do good, we have the opportunity and the responsibility and the authority to do good. And so I'm going to encourage you this week. Number one, I want you to remember that you have put on Christ. And I'll tell you what, I do this sometimes. I sit there and I kind of go, like I'm putting on a coat. And there's something about that physical action that reminds me that I've put on Christ. And so when I step into a situation, I do. I come at it praying, going, God, how would you like me to handle this? Give me spiritual eyes to see what I need to say and do that would be just like you. I want you also then to think about someone or some situation that is overwhelming to you right now. And I want you to begin praying about that. For some of you, you are great prayer warriors. I want you to think about maybe even getting a journal and writing down that person or that situation on one side of the page. And then as things begin to happen, I want you to then write them on the other side of the page. Now, I know what will happen. Some of us go, oh, well, you know what? That's just coincidence. And I want to remind you of this story in which this very famous golfer who was just phenomenal was told that, you know, you hit a lot of great balls. It's very coincidental. And he said, you're right. It is such a coincidence that I practice every day. In other words, the more you do it, the better you get at it. The better you get at it, the more you begin to see with spiritual eyes what God is doing in and around and through you. I don't want you to miss out on what God is doing in the midst simply because we're frustrated and upset. That's Satan's way of taking us off focus. We talked a few weeks ago about how you can think about three things you're thankful for each day. And when you do, you begin to retrain your mind into what God is actually doing in and around and through us. That he's reigning as Lord and he's invited us to now be his hands and feet here in this earth. You are the empowered children of God. You've been given everything that Christ has been given. So put him on and step into the battle and stand firm. Remembering who God is, knowing who you are in Christ and praying fervently. There is nothing we cannot overcome. I want to close with some prayer. And as we do, for those of you at home, I want you to get your elements together. We're going to share some time of communion. For those of you in the space, you've received a a piece of bread that's in a bag. Go ahead and get that out. Um, You've also received a juice box. I know some of you are going, this is so silly to have a juice box, but it's uh, one of the safest ways we could find in which we could allow you to be a part of this. Now let's make this our prayer. Lord, as we prepare our minds and our hearts after hearing your word, we now engage in communion. It's an opportunity for us to be reminded of the sacrifice you made. It's not simply a guilt offering on our behalf to be able to feel guilted into this. It's simply us recognizing and reminded, being reminded of how much you love us. That Christ, when you died on that cross, the entire universe had to stand watch to see that us, these human beings, are more loved than anything else in this entire world. That God has poured himself out for us, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. Would you allow the words that we've shared today to go deep into our minds and our hearts that we might truly put on Christ and be able to stand firm against the devil's schemes, being constantly reminded that we are not battling against each other. It's not about flesh and blood, but against the principalities and evil spirits of this world that seek to destroy us. But they will fail because we are co-heirs with Christ children of the living God, empowered with the spirit of God living within us. There is nothing we cannot face because Christ is on our side. My friends, as we go forth in prayer, we will see the power of God and his authority reign is supreme in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. When Christ was with his disciples, he took a loaf of bread at this final meal. And just like the wheat had to be crushed and the elements had to be brought together in order to form and bake and mold this bread, so Christ was wrapped in flesh and he came to earth and was born to a woman. And as he grew up in this world, he grew up just like many of us, learning how to eat. I'm sure he had diapers that needed to be changed. He watched the world around him, but all the while he gave thanks and glory to God and never once did he ever stumble or fall short in any of the laws or regulations that God has set forth for created humanity. And in doing so, he is allowed to give himself then as that ultimate sacrifice, so that never again would there ever be a sacrifice that could top it. And so every time we take and we eat of this bread, we're reminded that there is no other sacrifice greater than the one given by Christ. We live into that, we put that on, and we embrace it. Take your bread or whatever you have at home. Go ahead and break it in half. Christ's body broken for you. Take in remembrance of him. Go ahead and grab your juice box or at home whatever you've brought to drink. And just like the grapes of the field and the vine had to be crushed in order to make juice, or in my case, the apples. So Christ's body was crushed. And out of it poured blood, which was more than just a reaction, but it was a symbol. Representing the ultimate atonement for sin. That once that blood of Christ washed over humanity, there would be no way in which humanity could ever escape the grace of God. And therefore, you and I are forgiven today, we're forgiven tomorrow, and we will never cease being forgiven because of Christ's great love for us. My friends, when we drink, we accept this reality and we call it truth in our hearts. Take your juice and drink, knowing that his body was crushed for you and that his grace has covered you in full. This concludes our time together. I thank you so much for joining us on Sunday morning, for being a part of what God is doing in and through our lives. For those of you that are in small groups, I appreciate the way that you are trudging forth in God's word. Next week, we will begin studying the letter to the uh, Philippians. It's a short book, but a fabulous one. It has some of the most quotable lines in the Bible, and I can't wait to get into that with you. So if you want to read ahead, go ahead and read Philippians 1 and prepare for next week. Would you go in the spirit and the love of Christ, knowing that you are, in fact, children of God? You have put on Christ, and so there is no weapon that the enemy could ever throw at you that can defeat you. Go forth in this grace and this truth. Be the hope that this world needs, sharing the love of Christ everywhere you go. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week.